Ray Brown's Talking Birds. Made possible by the generous support of the Birdwatchers General Store, Orleans, Cape Cod. Birdwatchersgeneralstore.com. By Vortex Optics. With the VIP warranty, their unlimited lifetime promise to keep you and your optic covered. Learn more at vortexoptics.com. And Beautio Books, an independent, family owned bookstore carrying one of the largest selections of birding books in the world. Beautiobooks.com. Good morning. Welcome to our show number 858. Last week we started off with a couple of international stories, and we have another one of those today, but we'll start with something hyper local with the Talking Birds Garden. A modest plot in the backyard of our home radio station here on the Massachusetts South Shore. We put a little crew together last week. Thank you, Debbie and Peter and Max. And got the garden ready for feeding birds this fall and winter. And later as we watched the activity from our car as bird blind, we heard a great racket of about a half a dozen blue jays yelling their heads off. And for good reason, as it turned out, since uh, (laughs) Cooper's Hawk... Swooped in and perched proudly on one of the nest boxes there. The jays fell silent while a tufted titmouse froze at the top of a nearby tree. After a few minutes, it was slim pickings there, so the cooper's hawk lifted off and flapped his way back into the nearby woods. Now the international part. A little snippet there from a song called Ghana. And a story from that West African Republic that may provide a glimmer of hope to everybody who still believes or wants to believe, for example, that the ivory-billed woodpecker might still exist. It's the rediscovery of the Shelley's eagle owl, a very large but elusive two-foot-tall bird that hadn't been reliably sighted in the wild since the 1870s. We'd play a recording of the bird's call, but apparently none exist. The discovery of the owl also adds new attention to the plight of its habitat. One of the researchers that located the bird, ecologist Robert Williams, said, hopefully the discovery of such a rare and magnificent owl will boost the efforts to save one of the last wild forests in Ghana. That bird, the Shelley's eagle owl. This is definitely and clearly not an owl. It is our mystery bird, a preview of our contest today. This might not be one of our most difficult mystery bird contests, but we'll see. Here are some clues as a preview. Our bird is a large diving water bird with a long body that slopes toward the rear. It sits low on the water. In breeding plumage, the head, neck, wings, and sides are black. The back has large white checkered markings and the chest is white. It has a hefty black bill and red eyes. In winter, it's dark gray above with a white breast and belly and wing linings. Our bird breeds in the northern U.S. and through virtually all of Canada and Alaska. In the winter, it's found in offshore waters along all the U.S. coastlines. That's our mystery bird. We'll do the contest a bit later and give away some beautiful prizes, including the Droll Yankees Observer Window Feeder. That's the one that attaches... Right to your window, securely, so nothing between you and the bird, but your window. And you can put uh, seed in there, or fruit, or mealworms, anything like that. We also have a 12-ounce bag of delicious, bird-friendly, shade-grown birds and beans coffee. Those are our main prizes. And then if we get time for our mystery bird bonus question, we'll have a $20 certificate for Wisdom Supply Company. 
helping to prevent uh, plastic pollution through thoughtfully designed, plastic-free, zero-waste school and office supplies. That's all connected with our Mystery Bird Contest. Well, the Cornell Lab's annual Project Feeder Watch started on Saturday. November 13th continues to the end of April. Still plenty of time to take part. It's a great thing to do and very easy to do as well. You can just kind of make your own schedule with it. Count the birds in your yard or somewhere else and submit the results to the folks at Cornell Lab and you will help scientists understand and explain things like bird eruptions and emerging diseases, population changes. The easiest way to find out more is just to Google or their search for Project Feeder Watch. We have a conservation a bit of uh, good news here this morning from California where they've enacted a ban on the sale of gas-powered leaf blowers and gas-powered lawnmowers. It turns out that, for example, using a gas leaf blower for an hour creates as much pollution as driving a Toyota Camry 1,100 miles. It's more than the distance from Los Angeles to Denver, Colorado. So California's Air Resources Board urged state politicians to take action. Under the bill, by the start of 2024, only electric-powered mowers and blowers can be sold in California. But there's a caveat. The sales ban will go into effect if the board determines it is feasible. Not sure what that means, so we'll stay tuned wearing our sound-canceling headphones. Well, our friends Paul Basich and Wayne Peterson have just released the latest edition of their wonderful publication, The Birding Community E-Bulletin. Lots of wonderful information in there, including a rarity watch where they... Talk about birds spotted all around the country that are not expected to be seen there, like a golden-crowned warbler in Louisiana, a fork-tailed flycatcher in Maryland, three individuals of an Asian species, the dusky warbler in California and Oregon, and a bunch of others. And there's some breaking news here that we've just heard about yesterday and I guess this morning from our neck of the woods here in New England, a sharp-tailed sandpiper down in Galilee, Rhode Island, a rare sighting indeed. On the Cape, Cape Cod, a tropical kingbird at the Wellfleet Bay Wildlife Sanctuary there on the Lower Cape. And our friend Chris Powell down in Jamestown, Rhode Island, just sent us a photo, a beautiful shot of a, a male painted bunting at his uh, feeders there, right in Jamestown on the island there in Narragansett Bay. So some amazing sightings from around the country. Forgot to mention, by the way, that Birding Community e-Bulletin. Just do a Google search. You can find that easily, the Birding Community e-Bulletin. A salute here to our royal ambassadors, uh, folks helping us spread the word about our show and about birds and conservation. And we have a long-distance new ambassador, Paolo P. from Guardia, Umbria, Italy. Thank you so much, Paolo, for becoming a Talking Birds ambassador. And thank you to Christy Wyman from nearby Maynard, Massachusetts. Christy says, I'm a kindergarten teacher hoping to inspire a love of birds in my young would-be ornithologists. We start each day with Cornell's Sapsucker Woods feeder cam so we can observe birds and squirrels up close. And we have our own feeder station outside the classroom windows. 
The students help me fill the feeders each week, and we participate in Project Feeder Watch each year, referring your podcast to others, so why not be an ambassador? Indeed. Thank you so much, Christy. Easy to become a Talking Birds ambassador. Just go to the Get Involved button at the top of our page there at TalkingBirds.com. Still to come on our show today, we'll talk with a great man doing some great work to eliminate rodenticides in our environment. Gary Menon will be our special guest this morning. We'll check in with Mike O'Connor, and he has a whole raft of things to, to talk about on our Let's Ask Mike live segment. And up next, a hopeful sign for a species in decline as we meet our featured feathered friend, presented by Birdwatching Magazine. For more than a quarter century, Birdwatching has been North America's premier magazine about wild birds and birding. This past spring, there was a shorebird spectacle on a little barrier island called DeVoe Bank near Charleston, South Carolina. And it was a sight that hasn't been seen in many, many years. It was an enormous flock of whimbrels, large, powerful shorebirds with mottled brown plumage, a striped head, and a distinctive downward curved bill. That bill is responsible for the name of the curlew genus to which the whimbrel belongs, Numenius, Greek for new moon, a reference to the bird's crescent moon-shaped bill. Whimbrels hunt for prey, mostly in salt marshes and mudflats, using that long curved bill to extract fiddler crabs from their mud burrows. They'll also capture other crab species, along with small fish, marine worms, sand shrimp, and small mollusks. Like all of its curlew relatives, the whimbrel is in sharp decline, so a sighting of some 20,000 at DeVoe Bank represents a glimmer of hope for its recovery. And as Scott Widensall suggested in a recent article for Cornell Labs' All About Birds website, this gathering of so many birds on this tiny island offers a key to a conservation strategy to save shorebirds, simply providing them with a safe place to spend the night. The Whimbrel, Numenius Phiopus. Today's Talking Birds featured feathered friend. Welcome again to our show number 858. Gary Menon is an advocate for the elimination or minimization of rodenticides in our environment. And he joins us now for a return visit after a couple years absence for an update on the issue. Good morning, Gary. Good morning, Ray. Thank you very much for having me on the show today. Our pleasure indeed. It's great to have you back again. Gary, for folks who aren't really aware at all about the rodenticide problem, instead of thinking of it as a solution, tell us about a little overview of how it really harms birds, especially raptors. Well, um, it's quite simple, actually. The, the poisons that are set out in bait boxes or otherwise distributed around one's property in an effort to control rodents and in an effort to poison those rodents, when those rodents start to consume that poison and are attracted to the, to the poison um, by the manufacturers of the poison, and when they do eat that poison, they, they, they uh, basically accumulate a, a toxic quantity of that poison necessary ultimately to, to kill that rodent. But in the interim, between the time they're consuming, consuming it, of course, they're still roaming around the, uh, 
the premises and uh, the poison causes them to uh, bleed internally. It, these poisons are known as anticoagulants. They're similar to warfarin, which is a, you know, a cardiac medicine for human beings, which mm. thins the blood. And it thins the blood so severely that no body, um, you know, no body uh, organ like the veins and, and even the skin and the hair follicles can contain the blood and the the animal effectively bleeds out. Mm -hmm. And in that process, ironically, they become very dehydrated and they seek out water sources. Mm -hmm. um, they're, they're still not dead yet, of course, and they're, they're moving around in a very weakened state. And as they go outside, say from a particular present premises to look for a water source, they're, they're a, a prime target for, for a raptor. And the amount of poisons that they accumulate uh, can be sufficient to not only kill that rodent, but kill that raptor that has it's preyed upon them. And that in a nutshell is, is the problem. Um, these are non-target organisms like um, even recently here in Massachusetts, a total of four bald eagles have been poisoned, three of them fatally. Um, and that's within the last uh, uh, couple of years. In fact, um, two of them were poisoned this past summer and spring. So that's in a nutshell what, what the problem is. And, it, and uh, in fact, um, at the Tufts uh, Veterinary Clinic in Grafton, Massachusetts, um, for all the great horned owl and red-tailed hawk carcasses that are brought in by concerned citizens when they find these dead birds on their property, for each one that has been analyzed, for what a necropsy has been formed, um, uh, been performed on that bird, every single one of them in the past several years has been pr proven to be. Um, <clears throat> contaminated with rodenticides. Mm -hmm. That's 100% of these birds. Wow. So it's a serious problem in mm -hmm. relative to the protection of our of these magnificent raptors like red-tailed hawks, uh, great horned owls, and now even bald eagles. Uh -huh. Since you were on the show with us, Gary, there have been some developments. I know you could tell us about some others, but I know there's a bill here in Massachusetts uh, to regulate these rodenticides, and there's a lawsuit in California as well. What about those? Well, the, uh, relative to the, the bill in Massachusetts, that's uh, called House Bill 3991. It's sponsored by Representative James Hawkins out of uh, Attleboro, Massachusetts. And uh, this legislation, uh, which is so appealing about it, is that it seeks change through education and record keeping. It does not uh, restrict personal or commercial freedoms relative to the use of these poisons, but rather em empowers us to make choices armed with all the information. Um, one of the most important uh, or impactful thing about it is finally give all of us an idea and a clear picture of the quantity and distribution of these rodenticides in Massachusetts. Mm -hmm. And basically uh, require that the, the, uh, the, con the pesticide or the exterminating contractor that proposes to use that at any particular, lo particular location um, get sign off by the, the ultimate customer, whether that, whether that be a condo complex or a, or a municipality or any individual that wants to use these poisons, that they have to be educated on the dangers of these poisons. And it's hope it's hope that these sort of actions, um, which though they do not ban any poisons per se, will raise the heightened awareness of the problems and cause people to look for alternatives. Mm -hmm. That bill is currently in in the environmental committee committee and. Uh, Hopefully, it'll be moving moving forward uh, towards ultimate passage. I urge any listener here in Massachusetts to uh, to call their congressman, their state senator, and urge that they uh, sponsor this bill 
and move forward towards passing this bill. Mm-hmm. What about um, this lawsuit, Gary, in California? What that? What's that about? Well, uh, in California, uh, the organization Raptors Are the Solution is basically uh, looking to to. They've actually filed suit against the state when any any given rodenticide is allowed or permitted for for use in in that state. Uh, they have to come back for an annual review of that rodenticide every single year. In other words, to see if there's been any developments in the previous year, which would indicate that there's new evidence that these particular substances, these chemicals are causing previously unknown problems in the environment. And um, they were successful, this organization, Raptors Other Solution, out of Berkeley, California, they were successful in the last several years relative to what they call second generation anticoagulant rodenticides, abbreviated SCARs. Those are the more dangerous um, rodenticides. Mm-hmm. However, and, and they were successful in having uh, that particular uh, group of, of uh, rodenticides come up for reevaluation. Um, and uh, now they're attempting to do it for the so-called first generation anticoagulant rodenticides. Mm-hmm. These are the, the less, shall we say, less toxic um, form of rodenticides and the, and the rodenticides that some rodent, rodents have actually uh, shown an immunity to mm-hmm. over after many generations of their prolific breeding cycles. Mm-hmm. However, um, they're found in just about any off-the-shelf brand of, of pesticide that you buy at Home Depot or your local hardware store. And they are now sh- showing to be causing these, uh, these, uh, these, if not outright death, secondary effects on predators such as mange. If you see an animal like a fox or a wild, uh, a bobcat uh, here in Massachusetts that's clearly suffering from the effects of mange, it's easy to tell when you when you see such an animal suffering that way. It's likely that that animal has eaten a, a certain quantity of poison rodents, poison with these so-called FGARs mm-hmm. that people use commonly in residential locations. Gary, we're very, very so- short on time here, but I wanted, before we go, uh, ask you about this. Uh, you point out how rats are smart and how to control them without poisons. There's something called the Rats Toolkit. Give us a really quick uh, review of that. Well, that toolkit can be found at uh, the website raptorsarethesolution.org. That's all one word under their resource materials. And it's an, it's an excellent toolkit for anybody on on board today that uh, is listening, um, they want to get take some personal action. And a good example of that is uh, to, if you're partic- in your particular community, if you've been noticing in your community the number of bait boxes, you may notice them at a restaurant, any given restaurant, or at uh, um, any, any store, or even residential areas like condo complexes. These look like uh, someone had left a little black toolbox there. What in fact they are is, is bait boxes. There's poison bait inside them, and they're spread around you know, uh, liberally in these areas, and uh, they're a major cause of the problem. And this toolkit identifies how individuals can develop a spreadsheet uh, on where these particular bait boxes are located throughout their locality. And once they have this this tool, these uh, this spreadsheet developed, then the toolkit also identifies ways that you can, you know, step by step how you can approach these organizations mm-hmm. and and offer them alternatives to this and identify. You know, just what we're talking about here—the the dangers to our to a raptor population—and propose alternatives for poison control. All right, we'll have to stop it there, Gary. Thank you so much, and uh, we'll give your website—or not your website, but your email address—which is 
GC Menon, SR, at Comcast.net. We'll put that on our website, too, so that you can see that it's hard to pick it up on the air, but it's GC Menon, it's M-E-N-I-N, S-R, at Comcast.net. Gary, thanks for being with us and for fighting the good fight there. You're very, very welcome. Thank you very much. Coming up next, it's our mystery bird contest here in just one minute. The flutter of a tail feather, the flash of a wing bar in mid-flight, you don't always have a lot of time to identify a bird in nature, let alone to appreciate its beauty. But with Vortex Optics, you'll have the power to bring every wild moment closer. When you choose Vortex, you're choosing to have a partner in the field as passionate about nature as you are. Whether you're spotting old friends on the backyard feeder or packing for a once-in-a-lifetime trip to add a few species to your life list, Vortex offers a full range of optics and optics accessories for every birder and every budget. And whether the birds are taking you to another state or another country, you're always covered by the Vortex VIP warranty, an unlimited lifetime promise to keep you and your optic covered. If you'd like to learn more or if you need help choosing your next optic, give Vortex a call at 1-800-4-VORTEX or visit vortexoptics.com. There it is. Uh, I think a pretty familiar sounding bird for lots of folks, and it happens to be our mystery bird on our show today. It's a large diving water bird with a long body that slopes toward the rear, and it sits low on the water. In breeding plumage, the head, neck, wings, and sides are black. The back has large white checkered markings, and the chest is white. In the wintertime, gray above, a white breast, belly, and wing linings. This is a bird that breeds way up in the northern U.S. and through most of Canada and Alaska and found in offshore waters all along the U.S. coastlines in the winter. That would be our mystery bird, and we have beautiful prizes from Droll Yankees, the observer window feeder that attaches right to your kitchen window or any other window and provides an unobstructed view of the birds, plus a bag of our favorite coffee around here. That's a 12-ounce bag of delicious, bird-friendly, shade-grown birds and beans coffee. Give us a call and tell us what that bird is. If your answer is not correct, you might still win because we'll do a drawing among correct answers or nearly correct answers received and give away those beautiful prizes. Here is the number, 781-837-4900. Please call us as soon as you can, 781-837-4900. Meanwhile, a whole raft of topics for Mike O'Connor. It's Let's Ask Mike live in just one minute. Beautio Books carries one of the largest selections of birding books in the world. New, used, and rare books covering everything from backyard birding to general ornithology. From field guides to photography skills, biography, fiction, and humor. You'll find it all along with the knowledgeable customer service you've been looking for in one convenient place. Beautiobooks.com B-U-T-E-O Beautiobooks.com my name is Michael Carroll in Cloverdale, California. I became a talking bird ambassador because I love teaching, and as a park ranger, I've led many birding tours. And once I found out about the show, I was able to uh, tell other people about it. And then once finding out about being an ambassador, I was on board immediately. Talking Birds listeners, we hope you'll join our ambassadors family. Just visit our website, talkingbirds.com. Join today, and thanks. 
Michael Connors down there at the famous Bird Watchers General Store on Cape Cod. And let's just uh, start off by saying good morning, Mike. Oh, well, good morning, Ray. Yeah, yeah. we've got a whole bunch of stuff to talk about. I wish I could remember what it was. Yeah, well, I know there's a lot of big things happening in, in November. You've got Project uh, Feeder Watch, you've got Veterans Day, you've got Thanksgiving Day, and then there's the uh, the, the biggest one of them all. That would be Hat Full of Potatoes Day. <laughs> exactly. Down at on Cape it's Cod. coming up. That's right. Right. It's coming up. Everybody get their hats ready. That's our annual day where if you show up at our establishment with a hat, and no matter what size that hat is, we'll load it up with potatoes. That's always a Saturday before Thanksgiving, which is this coming Saturday, November 20th. And if you show up or you show up with your friends or your kids, well, everybody gets potatoes and a tree. They're, they're just whole potatoes. They're not mashed. There's no gravy. And we just fill it up, and then you take, it, take them home, and you eat potatoes on Thanksgiving, and you save all the turkeys. It's an amazing holiday. That's, is that one of those win-win things that I hear about? I think it's... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Except for your hat. Sometimes your hat gets a little gets, stretched and uh, dirty. Yeah, but little, other, other than that, that's good. And yeah. and I heard you mentioned the tropic bird, the uh, tropical kingbird, not yeah. tropic bird. <laughs> Tropical Kingbird and Wellfleet. Yeah. I got the word on that, and I raced up there yesterday, and I got a beautiful sunset, but I didn't see the, the uh, Kingbird. But apparently oh. it's there this morning, but I had to do some guys' radio show, so I wasn't able to go there this yeah, morning. Yeah, it's always the problem. I know how that, I know how that goes, that Sunday morning thing. It's, it's a... <laughs> Well, I know that, uh, Mike, I know people come from all over the country to go to Hat Full of Potatoes Day. And our new ambassador that we mentioned earlier today, uh, Christy Wyman, was at your store recently. She said she and her husband escaped to the Orleans Cape Cod area over the recent long holiday weekend. I guess that was Labor Day. And that you separated their wallets from lots of cash uh, in your store. I mean, she, she didn't put it that way. That's just my interpretation. But she did no, say they... No they, she said they enjoyed chatting with you, so that that was nice. I th I think I figured out how this works. So you get them chatting, and as they're talking, uh, distracted, you're dropping things into their shopping basket. Is that is that how that goes? <laughs> That's exactly <laughs> yeah. what we do. Yeah. What we do is uh, I try to distract one while while the other spouse continues shopping because you know uh, I can't talk uh, to them both the same. So so one is bored with the conversation, so he or she will go across, around the room picking right. up more things. Okay. That's that's a form of play. We were supposed to talk about bird playing. I don't know if we have time. Can you yeah, talk about... Yeah, it don't look like we have time for yeah, that. But Yeah, um, yeah it was going to be... Somebody asked me if birds do some playing. I looked yeah. up and there's all these crazy videos, but it's... Uh, it's it, it, actually, I read all about it, and after mm -hmm. I spent a long time reading about it, at the end of it, I didn't understand it any more than when I started. Well, I'm glad we're not going to talk about it then. <laughs> <laughs> we're not going to... But everybody get their hat ready. We don't care. Yeah. Uh, I, you know what? It's such a joyous day. I'll even fill Yankee hats. That's that's wow. how good a day it is. That is, yeah. that is going the distance right there. All right. <laughs> Thank you, Mike. We'll talk to you next week. You sound good. Yeah, okay. Bye-bye. <laughs> Mike O'Connor at the Bird Watchers General Store, Cape Cod, Massachusetts. Every Wednesday, Birdwatching Magazine sends an e-newsletter full of information of interest to birdwatchers, including recent news stories about birds, conservation, and science, photography tips, stories about places to go birding, bird ID tips, and much more. Best of all, the newsletter is free. Sign up today at birdwatchingdaily.com slash newsletter. Right before we get back to the uh, mystery bird contest, 
News of a great holiday special here from our friends at Birds and Beans. For $120, you'll get 12 12-ounce bags of Birds and Beans coffee, ground and ready to brew, or whole bean if you prefer. That's a savings of more than 25% on triple-certified shade-grown, Smithsonian bird-friendly, USDA organic, fair trade, great tasting birds and beans coffee. We love it. Order the 12 by 12 holiday special today at birdsandbeans.com. That's birdsandbeans.com. Our familiar sounding mystery bird. We have a feeling someone's going to get this one quickly, which is good because we're almost out of time already. We have Tyler in Riverside, Rhode Island. Good morning, Tyler. Good morning. Good morning. We're late on time, but what do you say in the mystery bird, Tyler? I'm guessing that's the common loon. That was a, that is a heck of a fine guess there. Common loon is exactly correct. Sorry to be so Never forget that so, so brief here. That is an unforgettable sound, and that's only half of it. Tyler, stay on the line. We'll get your address and all that. Okay. All right. Thank you, Tyler. In Riverside, Rhode Island, the common loon. We are just about out of time this morning. Thank you so much for being with us. Another great guest with us next week. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Ray Brown's Talking Birds. Made possible by the generous support of the Bird Watchers General Store, Orleans, Cape Cod. Birdwatchersgeneralstore.com. By Vortex Optics. With the VIP warranty, their unlimited lifetime promise to keep you and your optic covered. Learn more at vortexoptics.com. And UDO Books, an independent, family owned bookstore carrying one of the largest selections of birding books in the world. UDOBooks.com.